I, th- I think that idea of performative value is, is um, an interesting one because that leads us in a direction that, to be frank, I, I, this conversation could have gone in many different directions. And I think it's interesting that we, we, we went the way that we did because it has this underlying un- idea that um, starts off with that we're using a term that we each appreciate in different sorts of ways and think about in different uh, uh, foundationally identity forming ways as well as operational ways as well as, you know, assessive ways, ways of thinking about other people who occupy that same term and, and what we presume that they mean. Okay. Um, when you were a teenager, would you have labeled yourself as a feminist? And if not, when were you sort of introduced to the idea of feminism? And at what age did you start calling yourself a feminist? So to me, that's a really interesting question, because on a number of levels, if we're going to talk about feminism today, and particularly feminism related to cultural studies, we're thinking about how feminism becomes an ordinary way of looking at yourself in relation to the world around you. So for me, the thing that stands out from Lauren's question is not the when you were a teenager or if you were a teenager, did you call yourself a feminist? But the presupposition that everybody has um, who's involved in this conversation today considers themselves a feminist. You think that might be a, a one step backward that we could start with first? Do you consider yourself a feminist? You're listening to Culture is Ordinary, a podcast about media and cultural studies. I know for me, I, I labeled myself as a feminist, but it certainly was a journey of self-discovery that I had to take, even as a female myself. I probably didn't start labeling myself as a feminist until the past couple of years because it was just a lot of self-discovery and certainly a journey I had to go on. So what does that actually mean to you then? Uh, Like being a feminist, uh, for me, it just means being proud of who I am. I think growing up, I was scared of femininity in a way where I felt the need to be like this ultra tomboy, like, oh, the color pink. Oh, it's so gross. And like all these like stereotypical girly things like, oh, I would never wear a dress. I would never wear makeup. And now like, I I didn't even realize I'm wearing a pink shirt right now. I love the color pink. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my femininity. I'm proud as being a woman. I think that's sort of what feminism means to me is just being proud of who I am being proud to label myself as a female but then also feeling the need to be passionate about who I am about what my gender is and to sort of fight for gender equality in the world whenever I can like if I can ask you a question about this part like if you said you consider feminism like to you as a part like to be proud of yourself and I agree with you because like we all should be and have this opportunity like to express ourselves like however we want like not only in being not only like with the playing with like barbies for example for girls or car for boys but like at the same time like uh, the meaning behind feminism like to me is uh, more is like uh, defending the woman right in a way that they have been like suffer you know uh, like in a lot of community and even like in in the western world like through the history if you want to say like uh, i don't remember in the beginning of the 19 uh, the late of the 19th century or the first of the 20 it was like still also women are fighting for the right for so to me like nowadays i feel like feminism is more like 
an advertising advertising campaign like uh, not because of what women are talking but because the way they are addressing it like through the media and in a way or another it's an issue and it's a case but uh, well that's a that's a um, an interesting Counterpoint. Um, I, I think Sid has something he wants to jump in with, but we can uh, take up those two different positions because I think as a foundation for our conversation, it's useful for us to start to think about the idea that we're asserting a, a central word that we all take to mean something, but part of the problem of having any conversation is that we don't always start with the word and, and what it actually means. So that's a good place to start. What does this word mean? And then uh, going back to what Lauren's question has as a substance uh, um, of structure, when does it become useful to us in different points in our life that we can be proud to occupy that word in one way or another? Um, um, quote me if, uh, don't quote me on this, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, if I understand correctly, uh, feminism in social economic way is just equality with men and the kind of priv- privileges they have. It's just equal um, um, privileges to both uh, parties, right? So maybe the question could also be formed or framed as when did you stop uh, identifying as a feminist? Because I don't think anyone's born, you know, with a set of beliefs. Like everyone's probably born a feminist. Maybe along the lines, along their journey some point at some point with their family values or the things they see around them they have they change the way they view uh women around them in a way um because for me personally um there was never a specific point where i you know assumed myself as a feminist because i think this is like it's like a lifelong thing like you are brought up in a place I was actually brought up with very strong uh, female presence in my life all throughout. So I've always been aware of what women go through and what they wish changes around them. But I don't think anyone really becomes a feminist at some point in their life. Maybe the awareness goes up, especially for women, because they go through, and men, I don't think men can ever understand what uh, women really go through we can empathize but the struggle is your own so maybe the awareness goes up but uh, i think everyone at one point is a feminist unless you know someone really comes in and changes their perception that's a really interesting um starting point uh, from sid's uh, sid's point of view that he added a few other layers some of which i think um fit with and are fundamentally different from what both Lauren and Noala have said so far, because I think that Sid is bringing in a range of different elements of constructed versus present uh, present sort of social interactions or engagement. And we have a variety of different tensions attached to that, some of which include the need to make a distinction between gender and sex and the idea of feminism as a movement or as an articulation of a way of thinking rather than feminism as a physical presence of sorts, you could argue, or I could argue. Then the idea of gender, however, is the narrative structure of this is what each of those things means. 
So there are baskets of these things belong to girls and these things belong to boys, or these things are feminine and those things are masculine. Feminine and masculine are socially constructed. And by socially constructed, that means that in the way that you build a house out of materials, and then those materials you don't see when the house is built, they are just sort of behind the walls. Uh, the construct of feminism is associated with the construct of what does it mean to be a girl or a boy or masculine or feminine, and subsequently, how is that mapped onto different sources of power or different routines of understanding of interaction between things? So, as we said in a previous episode, that's the distinction between the natural, this is what happens because of sex, you are born with this physically, and the naturalized, this is what this means. One is a thing that is, and the other one is a thing that becomes by our social interactions with each other. Yeah, pretty much. Well... Like going on to like Lauren's question about like would I would I have labeled myself as a feminist when I was a teenager? Um, typically no, because when I was a teenager, I never really knew feminism really existed, but that was only because I was brought up like in a society where like feminism wasn't spoken about. Um, so I went to an Indian school back home and they like i'm not gonna lie it was a very sexist high school so i realized like that i was introduced to feminism when i experienced sexism in my high school when i realized our principal only like encouraged boys to do sports whereas me like for the girls he he always said that girls shouldn't do sports and stuff and they should always be focusing on their studies and whereas the boys they would get like after school hours to practice whatever sport they want and me as a person who loved basketball was like you know I, I was deprived of my right to like you know enjoy a sport I like so I feel like that was when I was introduced to feminism and I, I learned all about it because I experienced it and it's, I think it was then that I started calling myself a feminist when I didn't get equal rights. I, like Bernice just reminded me to a point that also like in our country, like this like concept was also like in the Middle East, not that much spoken about. And in the school, it's not only like sexism or like boys can do more than girl, but in a way that uh, the government itself like after finishing the elementary school they separate like the boys from girls until they are at university which like in a way or another make the, each one of the genders uh, have this like uh, uh, curiosity towards like the other one which gonna lead later on like to have uh, maybe not uh, like late teenager in a way somehow and that is happening like so much and even after getting marriage which made many issues in our conversation today we have a richness of experience coming from different points of view or different perspectives but in this particular case we have two people who were brought up in the greater vancouver island area and i grew up in toronto i'm obviously of a very different age bracket than the rest of you but i have uh, you know, it, it, a fair enough uh, range of experiences coming from a Caribbean background 
of East Indian origin, but growing up in Toronto and now living uh, on the west coast of, uh, of, of Canada. And when we have three members of our uh, community here, our conversation here today, who are from various parts of, uh, who grew up in various parts of the, the, the Middle East or, or, or so, but are occupying a space that is shared in the same way that we're all sharing a sense of uh, a space, in this case, of conversation around a term, and yet we're bringing in fundamentally different life experiences attached to that term. And looking at those is really transformative because that will allow us eventually to then map another layer onto Lauren's original question, when did you start calling yourself a feminist, and particularly by virtue of age, but then also by virtue of what counts as feminism. So just kind of going off that, Ravi, um, I never really got involved, kind of not involved, but I never immersed myself in feminist views, that kind of thing, um, growing up, whatever. But it really wasn't until um, Women Talkie started to really get the push that it did the last, say, three, four years that I really got involved. Um, I've played all my life. I've seen how, well, on a minor hockey level, how the girls' program is treated compared to the boys' program, um, that kind of thing. And then just seeing the female pros, they they get the Olympics every four years, um, a world championship um, if you're good enough uh, every year. But in between those events, they have nothing. They don't have the NHL. They don't have leagues upon leagues to play in and make the same kind of money that the men do. Um, so like I said, for me, it was them. The last couple of years, I've gotten more involved with kind of raising their cause, um, being involved, watching the games um, as much as I can and that kind of thing. When do you start to think about it? So far, we've had different points of uh, points of intersection but those different points of intersection are related to operational needs versus consciousness is there a difference between the operational value of feminism versus the consciousness of this is who i am and this is how people view me lauren is there an operational versus conceptual difference that you have to you have to deal with um I don't know that that's that that is certainly a bigger question that I don't think I fully thought of because I know for me sort of growing up you talk about how you grew up sort of not needing to label yourself as a feminist because it just made sense to support women right I feel like I didn't really grow up with that mindset because I sort of came I, I grew up in families that were somewhat religious they sort of had that whole god made women to serve the man type of mindset so there was always that underlining sort of like weirdness when it came to like feminism in my, um, not so much my intimate household and my mom and dad, but at least the family that surrounded it. Um, and so it was always one of these weird things where I don't feel like I, yeah, that's sort of, I would have never labeled myself as a feminist because I didn't probably know what it was. And then I always sort of grew up being like, okay, yeah, women, they get treated poorly, but that's just how it is, I guess. That's sort of the mindset I was growing up with, where it's like God made women to be ser to serve the man. That that's life, I guess. And it wasn't until I grew up much older, probably entering grade 10, 11, 12, where I realized that's not right. That's not fair. And then that's when I started discovering feminism 
that's when I started re-looking at my past life and being like, oh, I hated Taylor Swift because I was told by these anti-feminist ways of my close circle of friends and the internet told me to hate Taylor Swift because she was a feminist and she was a victim blamer and she, she was just all these horrible things about her and yeah, and it sucks because yeah, it was just a really weird way of growing up for sure. So anything? Oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> okay, um, I think people make it sound like it's a dirty word, like when we're growing up, that kind of thing. Um, like it has this um, not evil, but like this bad connotation to it, almost feminism, feminist. Um, I don't know if it's just being like growing up on the island, more of like, I don't know if you'd say, not like redneck, but like, you know what I mean? Like a, we're out, my family's outdoorsy, um, that kind of thing. Um, so it's just, it, it's weird. So um, <clears throat> just like Bernice, um, I grew up in the Middle East with like an Indian uh, educational board. And uh, the last year of high school, um, there were a group of girls who came up with this uh, idea of making this organization, sort of a thing called uh, Girl Up, which was uh, sanctioned by the UN. So it's like a small organization uh, made for just our school, just to raise awareness about feminism, and um, which was a good thing, you know. And uh, surprisingly, the school approved of it, and. They made a group which was basically a feminist, uh, feminist, feminism awareness sort of a thing. So good things are happening. Everyone's like doing good because at that point, at that age of our lives, we all were understanding the things going on, and there were some pretty bad things uh, happening to uh, girls in our school. Um, but the problem was. Um, so this group of girls that came together, their uh, mission was to raise awareness and uh, tell people about feminism and why it's important to uh, join the movement and be an active person in this. The problem was they, so uh, so it's always harder, I think, um, just, it's just my personal experience for uh, boys to be a part of this because feminism has become something that's only solely you know women have to like take charge of it and it's fair enough it's it's, it's. but um there were a group of boys uh that wanted to be a part of this to help out and to um you know go around um do events if necessary to raise awareness and um, the girl up group had this clause that no men you know no matter what happens we're not gonna um involve any uh boys in our group whatever the reason be because they probably wanted to take charge of it and uh, at one point we had this carnival and uh i think the whole campaign got a bit aggressive at one point because that whole uh, slogan was do you know that song by beyonce uh who run the world so during the whole carnival, that was all they were singing. And anyone who passed by them, if it was a guy, you would be shouted at. So after a point, the popularity of the group kind of diminished because they kind of alienated themselves. And it was kind of sad to see because at that point, we were seeing what was going on. And we knew there were things that were not right and could be fixed if, you know, girl up 
really got the momentum and did something about it. But they were alienated in a way. And I think that took a big hit on feminism itself in our school. So certain ideas, I don't know, where do you draw the line? Um, do you involve people who just genuinely want to be a part of raising awareness for feminism without looking at their gender? Or do you, um, how do you approach this is, my, is what comes to my mind when I think of this. So we're going to hear from Nawala uh, in, in a moment, but I think one of the things to uh, take, and, and I, I apologize for, in a way, summarizing, or I, and, and I'm not trying to uh, speak over or speak for, for you, Sid. I think one of the things that you have rightfully pointed out is that that was based on your experience, and this is how it functioned for you. And what you're looking at is that, <clears throat> that tension between allyship, I guess, is the word that is the most commonly associated with right now, and the idea of occupying a space that is um, exclusive versus a, a, a mindset that is inclusive, and that there are different belief systems attached to feminism and different forms of feminism that have different conceptualizations of how that functions and where it should function. And that idea of participation is uh, fraught on many levels because not everybody agrees with with who belongs and who doesn't belong, while at the same time everybody uh, who is of a feminist mindset would likely have a same central core principle, there should be equity and equality. But how that works in practice, again back to the idea of the concept versus the operational component that's where the bulk of our discussion we're gonna is going to end up going today i imagine based on the kinds of questions that that we've got uh, uh, to structure our conversation but i think it's uh, important to keep that distinction in mind because that distinction as you say is highly contextual and highly specific and is the easy one to say well they did this and this is what we could be doing instead and there is that point the on the ground part but then there's the broader conceptual part and we need to think about both of those layers Yes, I was just going to like add uh, to Lauren and also like to say about like the equation maybe between the two gender issue. So I was like, uh, I can relate to Lauren because I also like have been raised in that like strict religious family. And it was like uh, affecting like this, the way we I was living, like until I was maybe at university, all my belief, all like everything in general, and in a way or in another, like religions limits like women's uh, rights or in everything. I like that's how I see it, uh, and so why I consider like myself, or I did not thought of being like feminist because I like whenever I thought about like okay why can my brother do this and I can't do that not because like I'm a Mormon like I can think about it like I'm a human like him in this way like I don't like categorize myself any other thing than being a human for me so that like if I want to also like defend this issue i can't also like just address this issue like to the woman like we need to find also a way to educate like the men or like uh, like both genders since they are like children to uh 
how to become like equal to treat each other equally and like i don't know like in the video of uh, meeting the other enemy like i i like 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 a quote that she said like like consider just the other side like of the gender equation that when you are addressing the problem it's uh we're not gonna be only like know how to do the solution by attacking we need to find a way to speak and uh, in a way that they can listen and understand and that's a you versus me thing and that maybe that gives away power by saying i have to convince you that this is important for you to respect me means that i authorize you to have more power over me to give me that respect rather than it should be something that can be presumed you're listening to culture is ordinary by presenting it as a dichotomy between good and bad what do you think that that means or what does that mean to you well just going off about like um good feminism and bad feminism at least like in today's world i see on media like especially on social media such as like tiktok and instagram i'm i'm coming across like a lot of bad feminism because of this whole toxic community that there is like i've seen so many posts and tiktoks where women are just like men are trash and then they claim themselves to be feminist and that kind of makes me wonder like I thought feminism was all about equal rights, you know, being treated equally just as me- how men are treated. So, I'm just like wondering like when did this whole term like change on media, especially on social media? When did feminism change to the fact that women are superior to men? So, in my in my mind, I feel like that kind of is the bad feminism I'm seeing on social media right now. Yeah, well I'm I'm just now thinking about what Bernice said. Um yeah, oh, I don't know. I I I do raise my hand cuz I just want to keep thinking about it. Well, I, I I think if we were to pursue Bernice's uh perspective, I think that links well to some of the 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 core concepts that we had uh, coming into today's discussion. Some of the ones that we shared have to do with what you would call and Kaylin identified as different waves of feminism. And by different waves of feminism, you could argue that they're global waves of feminism, or you could argue that they're moderately culturally specific to particular um, Western philosophy or different kinds of philosophies. And to be fair, we're presenting this not in the way or in the depth that you would find in uh, a more appropriate level of discussion in another context, but in this case, in a, in, in a broader discussion that's situated within another subject area of cultural studies and uh, and media related to cultural studies as well. So we can look at these various waves in terms of first wave feminism, sort of moving towards the idea of women having equity for voting rights and for equal participation in society. And then second wave feminism that Kaylin just described, the idea of going out to work and being able to occupy different places in the economy, as well as having uh, positions of independence and uh, assertive authority within society. And then there's a third wave feminism, and the third wave feminism is kind of in that range that we're talking about, where there's that active ownership of, yes, I'm a woman, and yes, this is how you've created representational practices to try to control me, but I'm going to own those representational practices, and I'm going to put those out to you 
to try to tell you that I own what I choose to do and I'm going to help you to appreciate the fact that you can't own me because of me doing these things. Like, for example, I told you, like, I feel like there's this whole trend because there was a phase, I think it was like last year or something where I just kept seeing people like put up hashtags such as um, men are trash or kill all men, such things. And I'm just thinking like that's and they say that they are feminist. And because of this, a lot of people are kind of misunderstanding the term about feminism. And this trend kind of changed that name and now some people are kind of hating on feminism and feminists because of this and that's what that's what i'm just trying to say like that is not really that does not help is like all i'm saying so um i think the the, the thing that it comes all down to is um do you fight the other gender or do you fight the ideology of misogyny? Because at this point, I'd, I, TikTok, honestly, it's it's so dangerous in today's time because there's kids on that app at this point and they can go through any content they please. And if they come across something of this sort, uh, for example, someone went through a breakup and the girl's posting a TikTok at this point saying men are trash and this is what he, this is what he did and stuff like that. It's very easy for that girl or that boy to get influenced by it. And what's happening, like Bernice said, it's just alienating a whole gender instead of uh, raising awareness towards what really is the problem. It's not one boy or it's not one man who's doing something. It's 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 more like an the whole corporation or like the government involvement it's like a systemic build-up towards this and i get it there's been a first wave a second wave a third wave and now a fourth wave um i don't know how successful each of them have been and i think all of them have been a progression of the one before that but um this ideal this 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 approach towards feminism i i don't think it's working in the best interest because this has happened and i've seen this firsthand um women tend to get more hatred from men talking about feminism because their approach towards this towards it is a bit misleading and it just it it kind of snowballs over a period of time because if someone says something the, the next person's going to perceive it in another way and the whole ideology kind of changes and the whole aggression towards the ideology shift shifts towards the whole gender in a way which is a bit problematic in today's time so in a contextual sense the fourth wave of feminism not only addresses the central principles of gender inequity so again gender is a social construction and the inequity between the different social constructions but it's mapped onto a space that is on some levels devoid of central organizing principles that are relative to social uh, systems you could argue that the internet or the various internets and the various modes of social media are designed around a different sense of civic responsibility, responsibility to be civil with other people 
in a particular kind of way. So as a result, and as you are perhaps aware, a lot of the mapping on to social media formats for uh, exchanges necessarily means that you have to transform a message to be heard in a particular way amongst billions of other messages that are happening sim simultaneously and quickly replaced. So how do you stick? Well, you stick by being extreme and extraordinary, but not necessarily always by believing what you're saying, although sometimes you do. So it's really hard to separate those people who believe the content of what they're talking about from the people who are just saying something to be heard. The idea that you can be a feminist without maybe having that actual feminist mindset, or because from what we've seen, there's probably been a lot of us to sort of talk about how we grew up not labeling ourselves as feminists, but I'm guessing in our mindset, we sort of always have been feminists in a way. So that's sort of like, I guess, the opposite of it, where we would label ourselves as feminists and maybe not do the best way of supporting femininity or feminists, um, feminism. And yeah, I think there's always just like, there's bad, in a cause, there's always the people who do it badly and there's people who do it in a good job. So I think there's always sort of always gonna be that argument with any organization, if it be the women's movement, if it be um, Black Lives Matter, if it be um, uh, LGBTQA plus um, activism, I think th there's always gonna be the good and bad people of um, a cause. So that continuum is perhaps uh, a range, and and we can look at it in a binary, good and bad, or we can look at it as a part of a, a, a constellation or a range and perhaps even parallels. Somebody who's operating in one way for a righteous purpose and somebody who's operating another way for a tactical purpose, but they're using the same term, and because the one you know, co-ops or can be heard louder than the other, then, then things happen as a result of that. Um, I think firms do it really well this co-opting thing just to uh, just to bring up something different and like uh, Kaylin mentioned in those questions like Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman like the announcement of those films coming up and the, these lead characters who are women it's great because when you first hear about them it's like okay good thing you know it's finally happening but everything about these films can be problematic starting from the costumes it's all built in a way that supports the male gaze and um, the whole hype behind Captain Marvel, for example, when the solo film came out and it was for sure like a thing, people knew for a fact that she was going to be, you know, a main character in the final film that's going to come up for Avengers. Um, it's crazy because in the end, the whole hype, it was disappointing because in the end it felt like Marvel just had this superhero just for the sake of it and just to um, present their view that, you know, we support women characters and there can be strong female characters and they were strong, but it, it, it was only strong enough to support that ideology of them. But I don't think they really worked on building those cre uh, characters like they would with Iron Man or Captain America, the way they've built those. First of all, I think Black Widow's been there in the Avengers world since the beginning, but she's got no movie. She's got no story of it. It's just one character, one female character, and she's always there. She's always helping out the other characters with their missions and stuff, but no one knows what her backstory is. No one knows what she exactly is. 
which kind of like proves how female characters are just placed just to bring some sort of three-dimensional view on things. So, I was just going to say it kind of all touches on what the uh, author of the one article had said about the slacktivism. Um, It's performative, some of the stuff, Um, whether it be good or bad, but it just comes up like, sorry to bring up sports again, but the Canucks, they, um, for the first time on March 6th, they mentioned the women's league here in Canada. And then the other night, the Monday night game on International Women's Day, they had a whole night dedicated to it. Um, They had players wearing hoodies from the league. Um, They had some of the players um, tape a video of uh, an important woman in their life and what they meant to them. Um, Just, it's performative sometimes. You're listening to Culture is Ordinary. Tying that all in with where we are in terms of talking about media and cultural studies, and particularly feminism in media and cultural studies, this is one small way that we can we can conclude our conversation today. But it leads us away, perhaps, from the myriad other possible ways that we could talk about this. So it's important to recognize that this is a specific thing. This is not a a blanket statement that says this is the way and this is the only way. But going back to what you're both just saying. One thing that comes to mind to me um, is the idea of the performative value in a way that's almost cynical. So you're providing a female character without necessarily doing anything other than making it a male character who happens to be female on, 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 on a show. You're not readjusting the presentation of how the relationships exist. You're not pre- uh, adjusting the, the ways in which thought patterns or, or making sense of the world uh, is demonstrated. None of that's happening. All you're doing is substituting a, a, a female body for a male body, for the most part. That's not always what happens, and that's not always the intention behind it, but that is often what happens. There are a few different television shows that I've seen of late, however, that I would argue are much more feminist in tone than I had expected. And at the same time, they do so in a very natural way that it just seems like this is a presentation of these are real struggles and these are real things, and not in a glossy kind of Here's this badass woman who's coming in and she's going to be the main character, but she's going to be a male character who happens to be female. And I think that's a really different kind of experience. Like, I just wanted to add, like, a little thing. Like, as you said, like, nowadays you can see, like, this case has been trying, like, to define through, like, different people, whether they were, like, individual or women or even men who were against, like, the new definition of like the feminism that or like being feminist because I have a lot of like uh, male friends that have been like with the woman rights and they have been helped us like to reach and to take our like you know rights and reach that stage but at the same time nowadays they have been like attacked so like I guess the fourth wave of the feminism is to try real like redefine it by explaining or uh, explaining the real meaning of it by just the experience or it's one i don't know so as each wave continues as you say there are different things that you think should be a foundation that exists it almost seems absurd to imagine that women shouldn't have the right to vote it almost seems absurd to imagine that women had to work hard to be recognized as being possible 
to work outside of the home. And then it seems even more remarkable that you have to even think about the fact that if you're qualified for something, you have to then work harder to prove that you earn the thing that you're qualified for and that there are other people who are systemically, as we said earlier, um, able to expect certain things that other people just certainly expect that that's not going to work that way for me. It's harder. It's going to be harder for me. I think those are all definitely part of the, the constellation. Um, but perhaps we'll conclude with this last little bit. Our, I, I know that all of you are younger than me, and I know that that doesn't necessarily preclude you from um, being able to respond in a very specific way to the name um, Spice Girls. Are you familiar with the Spice Girls? And are you familiar with the, uh, the connotation of the Spice Girls equals girl power versus girl power not being the Spice Girls, being the opposite of the Spice Girls? Because in that particular case, the Spice Girls were, you could argue, and there are different degrees of research that describe how this may be more or less true, you could argue that the Spice Girls were manufactured as a group for the cynical purpose of packaging girl power, because how do you say, no, don't buy girl power for your daughter, she doesn't need it. It's easier to sell girl power if it's a thing that you can point to. And if you just happen to make money from it, then that's even better. And then there's the other part of girl power, which is be powerful as a girl and assert your right to participate in society as an equal participant in society. So what does the phrase Spice Girls or the girl power that's associated with Spice Girls or whatever it happened to have been in your version in your own life as you were growing up, what does that bring to mind for you? I think for me, like sort of thinking on the idea of the Spice Girls is that I, I'm a, I think I was a bit too young for the Spice Girls, so I never really saw the Spice Girls as like that sort of current day girl power. I sort of saw it as like, though that's the early 2000s music. Like, yeah, girl power, like, I sort of more saw it as, like, women supporting women, which is, like, I guess also one of the key ideas of feminism, where it's just, like, women supporting women, women supporting all, but then also at the same time, like, I think I also got the idea that it's a girl group that, you know, wore tight dresses and, like, a lot of makeup and, like, um, sung about boys and loving boys, so it wasn't always the best idea of girl power, because, like, girl power can be more than just liking boys and wearing tight skirts to please probably a male gaze and a male audience for sure. So I think when I think of the Spice Girls and girl power, I think, yeah, it's great that, or at least when the Spice Girls first came out and they're all best friends, or at least they all seem to be best friends and they all seem to like love and support each other. That's great. But at the same time, it was clearly mass produced as most girl groups and boy groups are. I say for me, it would be like um, Taylor Swift. She had this reputation of being a serial dater, that kind of thing. Then, what, 2014, 2015, maybe 2016, she had the big group of girl girlfriends she had, like the uh, just friends, models, actresses, um, such and such. And I don't know if she necessarily wanted it that way or if the media just pinned it that way, that they were this big group of girls like don't mess with them they all stick together um yada 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 that kind of thing and then she basically then got dragged by the media for it and um 
then disappeared. Like she had the one album and then she came back with a totally new identity uh, and her reputation album. It was all about being a bad girl, not being like those, um, like what the media said, um, that kind of thing. Well, that's one of those interesting things. And I think we can, we'll, we'll probably conclude here that thing that you just described, Kellen, the idea that Taylor Swift in your example and many others in various other examples along the way that who you can find having had to occupy that space at different points in time, they have to decide if being a feminist is a risk rather than something that allows them to exercise their power. It is something that they have to decide whether or not it's worth giving up their power when they enter into a, a part of the economy if you think about it in economic terms, that relies on their representation of being a particular kind of girl or a particular kind of woman and then having to risk being, you know, an angry woman as feminists are often depicted rather than a person who believes in equity. Equity and equality, to me, have nothing to do with anger. It is reasonable to say that you get upset if you're not treated equally, if you're not treated with equity. But that doesn't mean you're an angry person. That means that you have in various ways been let down by a society that asks you to do something that you do and then therefore should be treated uh, with respect for having done. And you should be able to expect without having to do a lot of performing to get to that point. But then you have to weigh off whether or not you have to give it up. And that has a lack of fairness that is at a more fundamental level than um, we often recognize or we often are willing to recognize. It is important to think about this in uh, an additional layer as sort of a concluding thought. And that additional layer is the idea that media and cultural studies is about the ideas of representation and how representation become foundational or functional in our everyday life. And how we represent the notion of feminism and gender and various understandings of where we fit within the constellation of appreciation of others in society, particularly around the idea of, of uh, the gender of female or the idea of feminism as a way of thinking and a different way of operating, it requires a layer of the conceptual, it requires a layer of the practical, the operational, what do I think and what do I do, and then it often asks us to reject the things that are around us. Many societies and many parts of society are matriarchal in the sense that women often are described as heading households, either functionally or socially or both. It is often described that women occupy roles that are invisible, but so instrumental in making systems function that women have to give up in order to get everybody to where we are going together. And what we have to do in return is look at ways in which to both accept that those are true and pretend that they don't matter. And that notion of producing and reproducing that acceptance and rejection is a very difficult space to get into because media and cultural studies allows us to look at the representational practices of putting women out there versus putting out a feminist perspective that allows you to think about different layers of inclusion, different layers of equity, and different possibilities. Because if you can think about it as a young girl or a person who wants to think about it from a feminist perspective and looking at the world and saying this is what the world tells me I'm able to do or I will be able to do 
how do you then go about setting up the rest of your life to live out that expectation? It's not an easy, it's not an easy venture to end into. And it's an important one for us to think about because those representational practices matter. The nature of the engagement or the opportunities for engagement matter. And we have to find a way to help everyone recognize that value more. And just like a final thing that I wanted to add that like I'm not independent nor dependent. I just complete the other like side and a mirror to it. Like that's it. You're listening to Culture is Ordinary, a podcast about media and cultural studies. Today's episode featured contributions by Sid, Lauren, Bernice, Nawala, Kaylin, and me, Ravindra Mohubir. Bye for now.